All right, quick review of where we have been in this series, Atonement. We have covered a lot of ground so far. We've said this, that Jesus died to undo everything that sin has done to you everything. How did he do that? He did that with his death on the cross. And at the cross, a victory was won, a debt was paid, and a sacrifice was made. Two weeks ago, we said that Jesus won a victory for you that you could never win. And because of that victory, we are rescued, we are redeemed, and we are reconciled to God. Last week, we said that not only did Jesus win a victory for you at the cross, he served as the substitute to pay our debt, to bridge the gap, to take our guilt upon himself, that Jesus took what we deserved so we could receive what Jesus deserves. We receive righteousness, access to God, and new life that only comes from God. That's what you and I receive because Jesus stood as our substitute. So we've talked about the victory that was won. We've talked about the debt that was paid. And today we talk about the sacrifice that was made. And to talk about that, I want to let you know something that sometimes when tells you what. Sometimes when tells you what. Let me ask you a few questions where when gives you hints about what is really happening. If you see a child smiling and excited on the 4th of July, what might they be excited and smiling about? Fireworks, right? They're, they're excited about the fireworks. Maybe it's a, gr a cookout. Maybe it's brats and hot dogs and hamburgers on the grill, but chances are pretty good it's fireworks. If you see a child smiling and excited around Christmas, what might they be excited and smiling about? Yeah, again, maybe they saw Santa, maybe they saw mommy kissing Santa Claus. I don't know. Maybe they saw Santa Claus. Maybe they saw Santa Claus at the mall. Maybe it's gifts under the tree. Chances are it has something to do with what's happening around Christmas. If you see a child smiling and excited around Easter, what may they be excited about? If you're thinking naturally the bloody Easter drama from my church growing up, you would be wrong. That's not why children's about. It's about the Easter bunny or the candy or the eggs or something else going on around Easter. And if you see me excited a few days before Valentine's of 2024, what might I be excited about? Yes, naturally, it's the Packers and Jordan Love hoisting the Lombardi Trophy after winning the Super Bowl 58 in Vegas. Of course, that like, oh yeah, and Valentine's coming up too. Yeah, sometimes when tells you what. And I tell you that because today, as we talk about the sacrifice that was made, we learn something about what kind of sacrifice Jesus intended to make by a detail that comes very early in the story of the week and the events leading up to Jesus' death on the cross. And it's an important detail that if you've grown up around church and are familiar with the story of Jesus' arrest, death, and resurrection, you're probably aware of, but when did this all happen? Like, when did the sacrifice that Jesus' death represented, when did that death take place? When was the sacrifice of Jesus made? You're like, Good Friday, boom, wrong. I mean, it's true, but, that's, but let me be more specific. During which Jewish festival did all of that take place? The answer is Passover. And unless we think this is an accident or a simple coincidence, this was no accident, this was no coincidence. Jesus chose Passover as the time and place to lay down his life. The gospel writers made it very clear to us throughout their writing that following Jesus was a journey toward Jerusalem and toward Passover, toward Jerusalem and toward Passover. In Luke chapter 9, verse 51, it says this, when the days were coming to a close for him to be taken up, he determined to journey 
to Jerusalem. The next 10 chapters of Luke's gospel are Jesus on the journey toward Jerusalem at the time of the Passover. Two-fifths of Luke's gospel is recording Jesus on this specific journey. Everything led to Jerusalem and everything led to Passover. His multiple predictions of his death and resurrection come during this journey. Many of his most well-known parables are taught during this journey. Some of his most famous healings take place on this journey. He is welcomed into the city, what is known as, as the triumphal entry, where people welcomed him by laying down palm leaves, shouting Hosanna as they would welcome him as the Messiah. This all led toward and what happened in the time of the Passover. John's gospel would tell us this in John 13 verse 1. Before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Among all the days that Jesus could have chosen, Jesus chose Passover. Among all the Jewish holy days, Jesus chose Passover. And there were some interesting ones that he could have chosen and, and said. The Feast of Weeks, the Feast of Pentecost, the Feast of Trumpets, the literal Day of Atonement. That's a, like, In case you didn't know, that's a literal day that's recorded and celebrated in, the, in Jewish history and Jewish festivals every single year. There's the Feast of Tabernacles. These were all holy days Jesus could have chosen. And each holy day required a different type of sacrifice that was meant to represent something specific. And had had Jesus chosen any of them, it would be saying something about the type of sacrifice he intended to be and he intended to lay down. Again, sometimes when tells you what. The fact that Jesus chose Passover as the time where he would lay down his life and make his sacrifice to atone for the sins of mankind tells you something about what he hoped this sacrifice would represent and what it would ultimately accomplish before God. Sometimes when tells you what. So what does it say about the type of sacrifice Jesus intended to make that he chose Passover. In case you're not familiar with what the Jewish festival of Passover celebrated, if you go back in Israel's history to what's recorded in Exodus chapter 12, after nine plagues had been sent against the nation of Egypt for Pharaoh's refusal to let the Israelites go, God issues an ultimatum to Pharaoh and an instruction to Israel. The ultimatum is let my people go, otherwise I will send my angel who will strike dead every firstborn in every house in Egypt. It happens at midnight if you don't let them go. The instruction to Israel is that this is coming, but, but for my people, if you take a lamb, sacrifice it, and place the blood of the lamb up, down, and across the entrance of your house, the angel of the Lord will pass over your house, and you will be spared from the judgment that is about to be poured out. It's recorded this way in Exodus chapter 12, verse 12, and, and the following verses. I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night and strike every firstborn male in the land of Egypt, both people and animals. I am the Lord. I will execute judgments against all the gods of Egypt. The blood on the houses where you are staying will be a distinguishing mark for you. A distinguishing mark for you. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. No plague will be among you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Here is what is represented 
in, the, in this moment of Passover, by the blood of the lamb going on the, on the doorpost of the house, by going up and across, up and across and down, up and down and across. The blood would be a distinguishing mark for God's people. And what came to be known during this Passover time was that the Passover was a representative of God's power, it was representative of God's mercy, and it was representative that God had chosen his people. God's power meaning God is using this event to free his people from the most powerful nation and the most powerful king on earth. They have been slaves. They are now being set free because of God's power. By God's power, the most powerful nation on earth stands no chance. The most powerful man on earth stands no chance against God's power to free his people. God's mercy because God has spared his people from his wrath. He made a way for them to escape his judgment, a way for them to escape the judgment that was falling on everyone in the land of Egypt. He was making a way in his mercy for them to escape his judgment and his wrath poured out on the land of Egypt. But that would not come to everyone. It came for God's chosen people who chose God in return. Anyone who had marked their house, anyone who was marked as one of God's people, received God's mercy and received the benefit of God's power. It is God's, mer God's power and God's mercy for God's chosen people who chose God in return. This is the heart of the covenant of the Hebrew scriptures or the Old Testament covenant that God established in the Passover, that God established at this specific moment. That God's power and God's mercy are on display for God's people. The first Passover signified and displayed and established the covenant relationship between God and his people. Up to this point, God had chosen his people. This is the first moment where people chose God in return through a symbolic act of the blood of a lamb going up and down and across their houses. Every house that chose to do that marked themselves as choosing God who had chosen them. And because they chose God who had chosen them, they were the recipients and the beneficiaries of God's power and God's mercy. This established the covenant between God and his people. Every Passover from that moment on for the next 1,000 to 1,500 years, anywhere in there between that moment and the time that Jesus came to the earth and would celebrate Passover, the, day, the week that he would be arrested and tried and, and killed and then raised from the dead. Every Passover in between then celebrated that. It celebrated God's power and God's mercy for God's people. And the Passover that was celebrated was the pinnacle or the peak moment, the holiest day on the calendar for the ancient Jews. So when Jesus gathered his disciples on the night that he would be betrayed and arrested, as they gather to feast and celebrate, this is the background against which all of that is happening. They are gathering to celebrate God's power and God's mercy for God's chosen people. And they're celebrating the holiest day on their calendar. And in the middle of the holiest day on their calendar, celebrating everything that God did to free the nation of Israel, to, to oppose the powerful people, the powerful nations of this world, to show his own power and his own mercy on behalf of his chosen people who have now chosen him in return, Here's what Jesus does in the middle of that celebration. When the hour came, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. 
Then he said to them, I have fervently desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Meaning, I know what's about to happen. I have chose this time. I have pushed the issue. I have pressed the issue. I've made sure that everything I do is, 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 is annoying to the people who will, some, who will take me and put me on a cross. I have chosen this day for the day of my suffering. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took a cup and after giving thanks, he said, take this and share it among yourselves. For I tell you from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. In other words, everything he says up until this moment, meaning this was purposed, this was planned, this is intentional, this was no accident. Everything he did drove toward this. And then Jesus did something that would have stunned every one of his followers. Something that if you've been around church, we celebrate this as communion. They would have thought he had absolutely lost his mind and what he did next would have been absolutely scandalous. The Passover meal included taking bread and taking, the, and taking wine, or in Pentecostal churches, taking juice, you know. And, and, he, and he, this, this was part of the Passover celebration. As you eat the bread, as you drink the juice, you are celebrating and reminding yourselves of the saving power of God and the mercy of God that is provided for God's chosen people who have chosen God in return. That was part of the Passover meal. And then it says this in verse 19, he took the bread, gave thanks, broke it, gave it to them and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this or eat this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he also took the cup after supper and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. I mean, again, in this moment, this thing that for 1,200 or 1,500 years has stood as the, as the symbol of the covenant that God had established as his power and his mercy on display for his chosen people who have chosen him in return. Jesus says, now they represent me and my body and my blood which establishes not the old covenant and it doesn't renew the old covenant. It now establishes a new covenant that I am establishing between God and you forever. Jesus in this moment made his sacrifice the center of the new Passover and the new covenant. Jesus put himself at the center of the Passover story. He said, that thing that you've celebrated for 1,200 years thinking it's about one thing, it's not about that anymore. It's now about me. Jesus made his sacrifice the center of the new Passover and a new covenant. Made himself the central figure in the long-awaited new story of God's power and God's mercy on display to God's chosen people who have chosen him in return. And then, and then he went to the cross and he suffered and he died and he shed his blood and he was whipped and he was placed a crown of thorns on his, on his head and he died the death of a rebel and he died the death of a slave and he died the death of a criminal and he died the death that symbolized what we were before God. And he set himself 
apart as a sacrifice before God on behalf of rebels and criminals and people who had been enslaved to sin. That's what he did. He laid his life down as a sacrifice to undo everything that sin had done to us. And this tells us something incredibly important that we need to understand about Jesus placing himself at the center of the new Passover, this most holy day on the calendar of creating a new covenant. Here's what we need to understand. Jesus belongs at the center of everything. For, for Jesus to place himself at the center of the Passover story, for Jesus to place himself at the center of the new covenant, that's something that you can only do if you're right or if you're a madman. You're either right or a madman. Those are the only options. You're either a criminally insane madman claiming to be something that you could never be, or you're right. Jesus, because of the resurrection, because of what we see after his death occurred, we know Jesus was right. Jesus belonged at the center of the new story of a Passover. Jesus belonged at the center of a new covenant. And you know what makes that, what, what's important to understand and why this is so important for us to get and why it's so important for us to understand that Jesus belongs at the center of those things is because Jesus doesn't just belong at the center of a story of a new, of a new Passover. And he doesn't just belong as the center of a new covenant. He belongs at the center of your life. He belongs at the center of your life, not just your faith. He belongs at the center of your faith. He belongs at the center of the way that we are made right with God and the way we come close to God. He belongs at the center of our faith, but more than that, he also belongs as the center of our lives. Everything we do revolving around Jesus, everything we do revolving around what he instructed, everything we do revolving around what he taught, everything revolving around this sacrificial kind of love that he called us to and then he set an example of everything revolving around Jesus, our lives, our relationships, the way we talk, the way we think, the way we treat one another, the way we lay our lives down for one another. Everything revolves around Jesus. Jesus belongs at the center of everything. And anything less than that means you don't have Jesus where Jesus belongs. Because of the sacrifice of Jesus, because of what Jesus said right before he sacrificed his life, laid down his life to undo what sin had done to you, we know that Jesus belongs in the center of everything. And when you have Jesus at the center of everything, what's amazing is we receive some things because of Jesus' sacrifice that is at the center of everything. The author of Hebrews recorded this in Hebrews chapter, one, chapter 10, starting in verse 1, with this long passage of scripture that I'm going to unpack in just a second. He said, the old system under the law of Moses was only a shadow, meaning it was meant to give us like a, a preview, meant to be a a foretelling, a foreshadowing of what was to come, a dim preview of the good things to come, not the good things themselves. The sacrifices under that system were repeated again and again, year after year, but they were never able to provide perfect cleansing for those who came to worship. If they could have provided perfect cleansing, the sacrifices would have stopped. For the worshipers would have been purified once for all time and their feelings of guilt would have disappeared. In other words, because of the fact that these, these old systems of sacrifice represented every single year and every three months and every four months and every so often, you got to go make the same sacrifices over and over and over again. We know that they weren't meant to deal with sin once and for all. But instead, those sacrifices actually reminded them of their sins year after year, for it is not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. 
That is why when Christ came into the world, he said to God, you did not want animal sacrifices or sin offerings, but you have given me a body to offer. You were not pleased with burnt offerings or other offerings for sin. Then I said, look, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written about me in the scriptures. He cancels the first covenant in order to put the second into effect. For God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. Verse 11, under the old covenant, the priest stands and ministers before the altar day after day, offering the same sacrifices again and again, which can never take away sins. But our high priest offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins, good for all time. Then he sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. There he waits until his enemies are humbled and made a footstool under his feet. For by that one offering, he forever made perfect those who are being made holy. And the Holy Spirit also testifies that this is so, for he says, this is the new covenant I will make with my people on that day, says the Lord. With with my people on that day, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. Then he says, I will never again remember their sins and lawless deeds. And when sins have been forgiven, there is no need to offer any more sacrifices. Jesus came as the representative in this new Passover of God's power and God's mercy on display for God's people who had chosen God in return. And he stands not as just another in a long line of sacrifices. The author of Hebrews and the entirety of the New Testament writers recorded this way, that Jesus stood as the full and the final sacrifice for sins. The full and final sacrifice sacrifice. Full meaning he atoned for every sin. Every sin you would ever commit against God, against another person. Jesus with his blood shed on the cross stood as the full sacrifice. And he stood as the final sacrifice. Meaning when Jesus climbed upon uh, on, on the cross as the altar of, of God, he stood as the final sacrifice. Meaning never again would a sacrifice need to be made because his sacrifice would be the full one and it would be the final one. No longer would would any sacrifice ever need to be made again because Jesus, his sacrifice was full and it was final. It was the full measure of God's power on display. It was the full measure of God's mercy on display. And it was made for the sake of God's chosen people who would choose him in return. It established a new Passover and a new covenant. A new Passover meaning a new way out of slavery, of sin, into the freedom that God had made for us. A new covenant that we have between God and us for God's chosen people who have chosen him in return. And because Jesus did that, because of Jesus' sacrifice, here are three things that every single one of us are offered. You are offered a new covenant. You are offered, according to the author of Hebrews, according to every author of the New Testament, you have been offered, because of Jesus' sacrifice, you have been offered a new covenant, meaning a new relationship with God established by the sacrifice of Jesus. In Hebrews 10, I believe it's verse 10, it says, for God's will was for us to be made holy 
not by sacrificing lambs and not to be sacrificing bulls and not to be coming in worship at the temple every single day and not to be trying to make up for our own sins, but to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. This is the new relationship with, we have with God. We are made right with God, not by our own actions, not by our own sacrifices, not by our own effort, not by our own strength, and not by our own mercy. We are made right with God in the new covenant that God established through Jesus. We are made right by the blood of Jesus shed for us as the sacrifice for sin to make us right with God. Not like the old, the covenant of old, which depended on our ability to uphold and keep the rules. And when we couldn't keep the rules, we would make the sacrifices. It's not about that anymore. It is fully dependent on God's power and God's mercy for God's people who have chosen to trust in him. And I love the way that the author of Hebrews says this. This is not just a new covenant. This is a better covenant because it's established on better promises. That God, through Jesus, has established not just a new covenant and has not renewed the old covenant. He has made a new and better covenant with us because now it hinges on something that has been done, not something that you have to do over and over and over. It stands fully fully reliant and fully dependent on God's power, which never changes, on God's mercy, which never changes, and Jesus' death on the cross, which happened in history for you. It is a new, you are offered a new covenant, the opportunity to choose a new covenant. You are offered a new heart, a new heart. I love this thing that, that he says in the middle of that, that God has said, my law will be in their hearts, and I will write them on their minds. Meaning we don't have to write it on stone tablets. We don't have to write it on parchment because what I'm going to do is place a new heart in them to give them a renewed heart, to give them renewed desires, to give them a renewed mind that no longer will look for loopholes in God's law to do what I want, but instead I will give them a new heart that seeks to do what God wants from the very beginning. This is the new heart that God has offered you. You're like, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of, like, I don't like to say this word, but I, I'm kind of selfish. I kind of like, I kind of want the heart that wants to do what I want. Let me tell you what I know about you because I know it about me too. Whenever I seek to do what I, what I want, my selfishness leads to sin, which leads to slavery, which leads to separation from God every single time. And it happens for you as well. So God says, what I'm going to do is I'm going to take your old heart of stone, your old heart of selfishness, your old self, heart, heart of selfishness that leads you to sin and to slavery and all of and, and separation from me. I'm going to take that heart of stone. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to replace it with a heart that comes from me. And in this new heart, you're going to have the desire not to fulfill your own selfish desires, but you're going to long to fulfill the desires of your heavenly Father, which leads you to life and truth and grace and strength and wisdom. And those are far better results than where our sinful, selfish heart leads us. You're promised and you are offered by God because of Jesus' sacrifice. You are offered a new heart. And this one may be the thing that I love the most. Every single one of us, because of Jesus' sacrifice, we are offered a new family. We are offered a new family, a new family to belong to. I love in Hebrews 10, God calls his people. He says, this is what I will do for my people. 
for my people. I have chosen them, and when they choose me in return, they are my people. We belong together. They belong with me. Not they belong to me. They belong with me, side by side, hand in hand, walking through this life, knowing that I am with them because they are with me. I love that picture from Hebrews 10, but I also love this promise that's given, that's recorded by Paul, this explanation of what God has done through Jesus. In Romans chapter 9, he goes back to this Old Testament prophecy from, from the prophet Hosea. And he says this in Romans 9, 25 through 26. God says in the prophecy of Hosea, those who were not my people, I will now call my people. Those who were far away from me, I will now bring them close. Those who were not my people, I will now call my people. And I will love those whom I did not love before. In other words, in the old, in the old covenant, there were some people that God loved and some people that were, were completely kept outside of the love of God. That's the way that, that things were understood. I don't know that that's the way that things actually were, but that's how things were understood. That there was a chosen group and God loved them and God didn't love anybody else. And then at the place where they were told, you are not my people, there they will be called the children of the living God, through Jesus' sacrifice, he has made a way for you and for me and for everyone that you have ever met and every person that you will ever stand eyeball to eyeball with and every, and every person that you only know on Facebook and every person that you only know because of their population statistics that exist. A way for every person to be brought and to belong in the family of God. He says, these are my people. And just like in the, in, the, in the old Passover, in the new Passover, they will be marked by blood. Like, will be marked by blood. Not by the blood of a lamb on our doorposts, but by the blood of Jesus that was shed for us for the forgiveness of our sins. And when we accept and embrace what he did for us, we are marked by the blood of Jesus. And when we're marked by the blood of Jesus, we are welcomed into the family of God and we belong in the family of God and we belong with God. That is what Jesus did for you and what Jesus did for me and what Jesus did for every person that will ever walk the earth. He made a way that we could receive a new covenant, that we could embrace a new covenant, that we could receive a new heart, and we could be welcomed into a new family. That's the atoning work of Jesus. He won a victory for you that you could never win for you. He paid a price for you that you could never pay for you. And he laid down a sacrifice for you that welcomes you into God's family and gives you a new heart and establishes a new relationship between you and God that is not dependent on you and your ability to do good, but is only dependent on God's ability to, to be good and to be strong and to do for you what you could never have done for you as his chosen people when you choose him in return. So for some of you today, this is the moment to choose him in return. He has sent his son to let you know you are chosen. And when you choose him in return, you stand in a new family and you stand with a new covenant and you receive a new heart. And that is what Jesus did when he died for our sins to undo everything that sin had done to you. He atoned for our sins. And in doing so, he won a victory that you could never win.
And he paid a price that you could never pay. And he laid down his life as a sacrifice so that we could be brought into the family of God. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for everything Jesus did for us, everything Jesus accomplished for us on the cross. Thank you for his atoning work for us. Thank you for the victory that he won for us. Thank you for the debt that he paid for us. And thank you for the sacrifice that he made for us. Thank you that we get to be part of the new Passover, set free from the slavery of sin, to worship and to know and to be connected with you, to live free in your world. And God, thank you for the new covenant that was established through Jesus, that we get to know you and have a relationship on confidence, knowing that what you have done for us and who you are for us will never fail and will never fall. And God, thank you that we get to be a part of your family, that we are your people when we choose you. So God, thank you for everything that Jesus did for us. Thank you for everything his death accomplished for us and that we can know you because of it. We love you, God. Help us to stand confident in what you've done for us. Help us to stand confident in the atonement that Jesus accomplished for us. We love you, God. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.